0: Welcome to a Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Dr. Trevor Dyson-Hudson, Director of Spinal Cord Injury and Outcomes Assessment Research at Kessler Foundation, and Mary Shea, Clinical Manager, Wheelchair Clinic at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. Dr. Dyson-Hudson and Ms. Shea will be presenting Wheelchair Mobility, Lessons Learned and Future Directions. For more information about Dr. Trevor Dyson Hudson, his online biography link can be found within the description of this podcast. This presentation was recorded and produced by Joan Banks Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Thursday, November 8, 2018, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System. Which is supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. NIDLER grant number 90SI5026. NIDLER is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. For more information about Kessler Foundation and our researchers, go to kesslerfoundation.org. That's K E S S L E R. F O U N D A T I O N dot O R G. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter. All right, thank you all for attending.
1: Uh, Mary and I are going to take a casual approach and sit during this presentation. I hope you don't mind. Um, so, what we wanted to do was tell you guys about a study that's been going on here at Kessler for the last five or six years, actually, if you consider it a no-cost extension, um, and it dealt with the topic of wheeled mobility, wheelchair mobility, um, and so brief outline, we're going to give you a background on it. Um, so for the purposes of this presentation, we're going to focus on the manual wheelchair Uh, skills training component of it. Um, There was a maintenance training component, but 120 slides into the presentation, we realized we had way too much material. So uh, so what we're going to try to do is get through what we have. We'll be focusing on the skills training, because that was the area that we really focused on with the study. There were a lot of different elements to it. So a lot of you are familiar with the term wheelchair-bound. We really want to change your opinion about this idea. If you think about it, I mean, the wheelchair is probably, you know, for an individual with spinal cord injury, for most individuals at least, they're not going to get very far without their wheelchair, right? So, you know, meaningful participation in life requires functional mobility, right? And so for the majority of individuals with spinal cord injury, they use a wheelchair to achieve this. So even if they walk, for a lot of activities, it may be more functional for them to sit. Or to cover longer distances, it may be quicker to do that. So no matter what, they may require a wheelchair. And if you think about it, it's probably the most single important piece of of equipment they may get at the time of their injury and throughout the course of their life. However, not when it doesn't work. And when I say not to when it doesn't work, I mean if there's a breakdown or they don't properly know how to use it or when it causes them harm. Because if you don't know how to properly use a wheelchair, you can actually injure yourself pretty uh, severely so we're going to tell you about a study of collaboration on mobility training uh, this was a multi-site stu- study that involved four different centers um, University of Pittsburgh uh, model system was the lead site so it was and then involved us northern New Jersey uh, spinal cord injury model system South Florida Miami project and then the Midwest Regional SCI care system or RIC so can everybody hear me or you And want then we to also me had, had Dalhousie
2: uh, University involved and they are the um, people Thank who you. have developed the uh, wheelchair skills training program that we used in this is that better? Um, study I think so, so they weren't one of the sites however they were very actively involved because we were using their work
1: right so is that better so really okay so the purpose so really the project goal oh, a little loud maybe Um was to test two different training programs to improve quality of life in individuals with spinal cord injury. As I said, there, were, there was the wheelchair skills training program, and then there was the wheelchair maintenance training program. And with the skills program, we were focusing on manual wheelchair users, and in the maintenance program, we were used involved both uh, manual and power chair users. But as I said, we're going to be focusing on the skills training aspect of that. Is that okay, or is that a little echoey? Not bad. Not bad? Okay. I'll keep going. No. So, so why do we care? You know. So if you think about it, we're approaching this from the ICF model, so the International Classification of Health and Function, where you're trying to take a holistic approach to disability. So if you take the condition of spinal cord injury, for example, at the top of that. That can result in paralysis. Now this paralysis can lead to activity limitations. These activity limitations can affect participation. And then there are environmental factors that can affect that participation as well as the personal factor. So all of these things kind of interact and it's important to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the wheelchair. Um, and the person with spinal cord injury, you have this device that can potentially make them independent, but then there are these environmental factors that can influence that. So let's talk about wheelchair skills and why we think it's important. So here's a case example. So in this picture, there's two pictures. There's the main entrance to a, a, a restaurant. Now, if you get a little closer, you'll see there's a large step without a ramp going into that. Now, you have a few options. So you don't go in, you try to get in, or you get help getting in, right? So you don't go in, that means you're limited in your participation. You can't go into that restaurant. If you try going in, there's the risk of tipping or falling and landing on your head. And if you get assistance, you need help doing that. You can't do that independently. You either have to travel with somebody or you ask somebody to join you. So so why are these skills lacking right now? Well, I think on an inpatient service, patient goals are very different. They just had their spinal cord injury. They're learning how to manage bowel, bladder. They're coming to terms with uh, their injury. It's just the concept of of doing wheelchair skills training. Even having a wheelchair is overwhelming for them. Knowledge of therapists, uh, a lot of them don't know how to do skills training. Time and resources, these things take time. And then length of stay. We all know that length of stay has gotten much shorter. So you're trying to cram all the basic skills of daily life into a very short time. You don't have time necessarily to do wheelchair skills training. And even when people get on the outpatient side, there's a limited number of therapy sessions they get. And for a lot of people, their goal is activity-based therapies. They're less interested in a wheelchair skills-based thing. And a lot of people, I don't think, really appreciate how independent they can become if they properly know how to use their wheelchair. So can we find a better way to teach people these skills? So what we tried to use was a train-the-trainer model. And what I mean by that, this is a you know, a wheelchair skills program. I'm going to go into this in a little greater detail. So this consists of the wheelchair skills test, And then the wheelchair skills training program in itself. And this is a very formalized, structured program. So this was developed by... um Lee Kirby, who's a physiatrist in Dalhousie uh, University, and this is his website, and if you look at it, this is a very involved website, and so it's got the skills manual, which talks about wheelchair skills training, and I'm going to go into that a little more. It's not just a simply how-to, but Lee is approaching this from the motor learning aspect of things, because you're you're teaching a person to function with their wheelchair as if it's part of them. There's to assess how they do that, so all these resources are on that site. I strongly encourage you to check it out. But not only that, Lee is also constantly doing literature updates, um, and uh, so if, if Um, Trying to have a reference, ongoing reference of any studies using this program and their outcomes. So this is and there's videos there on how to perform this training. So this is an incredible resource for people. But. we did for us, so actually let me just go a little bit into this. So this is the wheelchair skills program manual and it's very extensive if anybody's seen it. Um, This is the wheelchair skills test. So what it is, is this a way for clinicians to assess somebody to see if they can perform certain wheelchair skills. Now this covers all wheelchair users. So this could be somebody with a stroke um, up to somebody with a spinal cord injury. And so it starts at even the base. Of Can that individual simply roll forward? All the way up to, can that person go up and down stairs? So you see there's quite a range of skills involved in this. And in fact, a lot of this is weighted more towards Uh, Basic skills. Yeah, just simply going forward, going backwards, turning in a circle. And for the the manual wheelchair user with a spinal cord injury, by the time they've left inpatient, and certainly by the time they're out of outpatient out in the community, they've mastered a lot of these. They may not do them right, but they can perform them. Uh, So... Again, you know this has a scoring. It also has a questionnaire, so you can ask the wheelchair user themselves how confident one, how confident they feel performing it, and whether they uh, whether they have the capacity, whether they can do it or whether and how often they do it so there's these different outcome measures that you can use right.
2: and the reason we chose this type of measurement is because Each of the different model systems, we're all teaching different wheelchair skills to people, but we all kind of have our own strategies. So we thought if we're gonna study it, we wanted to have a more formalized approach, and this was a really formalized method that's very respected in the industry, and along with that, we could use some of the outcome measures when we're doing the pre and post tests. So we thought that's why it was helpful, even though it's not designed for people with spinal cord injury, and it's a little biased toward those lower level skills.
1: you think about the way Lee approached it was, there's the content of what to teach, but there was the process or how to teach it. So, the, the one analogy, one night I was having dinner, and, uh, you know, you click on the TV, and you think about the old Karate Kid movies. How many people saw the original Karate Kid movie, right? <laughs> if you're old enough, let's see if I can play this. Uh, so,
2: So this is a classic OT so, type
1: video. I don't. You can't hear it, but, uh, you know, the concept of you know, sending them through this series of monotonous tasks you know it's you know it's wax on wax off you know paint the fence and all these different simple things you know and he wants to learn karate right that's his goal so that's that's the content but there's a process to learning this it's taking the individual slowly through it and then finally there's this scene where he you know, takes him through, you know, Daniel's getting very upset. He's like, you know, and slowly he realizes he's, he's learning these skills.:
2: off all of that was building up his rotator cuff muscles and all and building up so that those responses were innate to him. And that's the whole thing with the wheelchair skills training. We wanted to, you want to make it like it's part of motor learning, that it's part of that person.
1: Right, and so, you know, and so, so through the series of just simple mundane tasks, he learns things, his brain picks it up so that he reacts. He does all these things without even having to think about popping, you know, popping over a little thing, popping, he does it automatically. Right. So so let's talk about our study as a whole. So that that was what we were using to train. Is everything okay? Yeah. Oops. Oh geez. I'm sorry. Do you want to screw it? Too? Sorry about that. I don't know if you saw any of that so All right. thanks. <laughs> so let's let's go through study one so really there were it's th- for the real wheelchair skills training there were three different studies within this one study um, study one was to look at overall the effectiveness of group wheelchair skills training in uh, manual wheelchairs uh, users with spinal cord injury uh, if we found that to be effective study two was then to try to somehow implement that at each of the different sites to see if people if we held these classes would they come and would they get something out of that and then an extension of that was We have Lee, who came to our site to teach us how to perform wheelchair skills, but he can't do that for everybody. He can't keep going on and doing this. So is there a way to effectively remotely train therapists, interested people like that, on how to learn wheelchair skills? So those were the three different components. So starting with study one, this was looking at grouped wheelchair skills training. So this was across the four sites. We had four it was manual wheelchair users with spinal cord injury. This was double-blind in the sense that uh, there was either people were told they were being uh, assigned to an intervention to improve their quality of life. We, we kept it very vague. One group got wheelchair skills training. The other group was an active control group. Uh, that was later changed to a waitlist list control. And what we did was we performed baseline measures, one month follow-up, and then one year follow-up. And the wheelchair skills classes consisted of six classes total. They were an hour and a half each. And we tried to have it as grouped skills training. That was key. We didn't want it to just be one on one because we're trying to make this practical for therapists to have it a group. Um, so there was a syllabus of the different topic areas. You progress through that wheelchair skills training. So from the simple uh, wheeling forward, uh, all the way progressing to popping up curbs and then going up and down ramps uh, and learning how to do wheelies and all those different things. And then there was an active control comparator group. So the, our primary outcome measures were the wheelchair skills test questionnaire and the capacity, can you do it? And then the performance, how often do you do it? And then there was a goal attainment scale. So you know what, what were the goals that somebody wanted to achieve? Um, as a wheelchair user. So, overall across the sites, we had 114 participants. Um, and uh, so, just a basic uh, overview of the, the, the participants here. Um, and in a nutshell, we found it to be effective. Now, I, where we found it, um, is it we still having problems or no? Okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's that. So it's just me juggling it, that's all. So sorry about that. So, uh, you know, we saw improvements in the capacity and the overall score, and where we saw great improvements in capacity was the advanced skills. So the advanced skills are those popping wheelies, um, uh, going up and down stairs, that kind of thing. And then in performance, one of the things we see is that people aren't really... Performing these out in the environment necessarily because it's just not, they didn't need to or weren't necessarily challenging themselves. So, what were some of the obstacles we encountered? Well, there is kind of a ceiling effect with our data because, as I said, this. Outcome measure, there's heavily weighted more towards the basic skills, and there aren't a lot of the highly skilled uh, outcomes on there. So if you think about highly skilled, it would be popping a wheelie, uh, going up and down stairs, uh, going up and down ramps, so things that are a little more challenging for an individual. There's only a few of those on the the test and the questionnaire. Um, More simple uh, procedures on that, so...
2: And, the, um, and also what we were finding was, like, for the baseline skills, people made significant changes with that. They improved significantly between their the baseline and their follow-up for the basic skills as well.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, what Mary's speaking to is, so those actually who had lower skills saw the best improvement, which makes sense, right. you know, so... Yeah. So, so uh, the conclusions we drew from that study were that you know, there is a need for wheelchair skills training among users with a wide range of uh, years and since their injury, and that group training is feasible and uh, may be particularly effective for those lacking skills and are motivated to learn. So, you know, if you hold these classes, people would come and they would gain something from it. So, it was effective. So then the next step was the pragmatic trial, and I think this was probably one of the more most interesting uh, things, was that with the pragmatic, each site was charged with implementing wheelchair skills training at their site based on the availability and capacity of that site to do it. So, you know, to give it context, so this is the study. But, and you know. Yeah, for so. Kessler
2: here, what we did is um, we did it one time a week because we felt like we wanted to have it consistently. And the other was that we did it one hour, and it was 4 to 5 on Tuesday afternoons. Why did we choose that time? Because we were trying to capture people who took transportation. We were trying not to interfere with therapy schedules, trying to be respectful of the inpatient gym where we have one, the course the primary course that we use in bad weather. And then also, um, we just thought it would capture people who were working and give them the opportunity to leave work a little earlier if they needed these skills, they could do that. Whereas some of the other sites, what they did is they, actually most of the other sites, um, both Shirley Ryan and at University of Pittsburgh, they pretty much did this primarily with the inpatient population, not with the outpatient population because there's another set of challenges with that. And then from Miami, they did it with the outpatient population, however they do it with a, ther- a person who's a therapeutic uh, recreation person. And she primarily runs the group there. But um, we were the ones, I think, who did it the most consistent for that, where some of the other sites did it once a month. And then that's t- kind of tricky for people to be carrying over the skills if you're looking for that mode of learning uh, to be happening. And so that's why we did the one time a week here.
1: So- Again, we went through kind of the skills hierarchy, so we start at the beginning where a person rolls forward for a short distance. They work on their turning. We're teaching them proper wheelchair propulsion stroke. They then progress to popping little wheelies as they move along. Um, and then going up and down inclines and steeper incline. Learning as they pop little wheelies, they learn to pop a, a sustained wheelie and hold that wheelie. It then progresses to popping up over a curb and then popping down the curb. And you kind of go through this progression. And ultimately if the individual's interested we graduate to going up and down steps. So here's the uh, wheelchair skills course at Kessler. so this is great for inclement weather. One of the things that we want to stress is you really you don't need a special course inside. A lot of these these are things this course is based on what's out uh, the challenge in the environment. So finding curbs outside that people can work on, uh, wheeling over grass, wheeling over a solid surface, um, hard or uh, uh, any of these things can all be found outside. So you don't actually need an obstacle
0: course. And
2: many of you saw us outside when the weather was nicer and if it was just too, too humid or it was raining, then we would be inside doing it. And this course just helped us to do a lot of skills in a quick, a short amount of time frame. So what I mean is that we always started at the very basic with people and we would run through the basic skills within the first 10 to 15 minutes of the group. So we really spent then, the meat of the group on the, on the stairs or up and down doing wheelchair to floor transfers or something like that. Let's go quicker. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, the, so here are the stairs. We worked on that. As I said, popping wheelies, working on people's balance points. Um, one of the things that was really nice was there was a group dynamic to it. So you, you had a range of people involved. You know They were mentoring. So you have wheelchair users who were providing this. They were encouraging each other. You had men, uh, people, wheelchair users, who actually started to become leaders themselves, mm-hmm. and then competition. Started to develop, so
2: yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, the guys really get into it and like really cheer each other on, or they you know really harass somebody that they that was terrible. Let me see, you can't do it as good as I can do it, and you know so that really helped everybody learning and developing. And I think that's the best part of a group there's only so much we can do as clinicians. When the group can like really function like that, that the group was just phenomenal. It was really such a great experience for
1: us. Right, and so some of the challenges, you're trying to accommodate different skill levels. So, you know, curbs, we might do simul, depending on the skills, you might do a simultaneous conga line. So, you know, people in wheelchairs going in a line, pop, all of them popping up and then following each other. Um, others times watching and observing, you know, what went wrong, giving feedback, you know, wheelies, giving that feedback, divide and conquer. So all these different things to try to accommodate all the different levels of skills and things like that. You know, as I said, some of the unanticipated positive outcomes, a lot of peer mentoring went on here. So, you know, people who are newly injured or just transitioning home talking in kind of a nice, relaxed setting while they're doing other things about bowel, bladder management, all these other things. So um, increased awareness of different equipment. So uh, seeing what somebody else had, you could ask them about it. Um, And then also uh, referrals to seating clinic because you'd see a lot of people had uh, uh, mechanical issues with their wheelchairs and they needed maintenance done. So we would uh, try to accommodate uh, uh, all those different things. So uh, here's a little. This is know.
2: this is a video of someone just going through, and you see just working on the propulsion stroke. So at the start of every one, we'd work on that propulsion stroke, and you can see he got it for the first few. Let's play it one more time. He was doing really well with it, but then he reverted back to his old style of a, an arc stroke, where he went back on the top of the hand rim, which is what you're not looking for. But it just goes to show how much you want like people using that semicircular stroke, and we kept reinforcing that so that you're not your own brakes and bringing your hand back on the same hand rim as they're going. You can go to the next one, actually. We can, we're going to go
1: through here.:
2: Yeah, it's all right. So, so this is him again. Just looking through and you see he's really working hard to push and let go and come back around and then there you see a little bit of a change. But most of the strokes he's really getting it, so it's that whole neuromuscular re-education. And then here is just a quick way just showing you like to do the course a little, that's the two inch curb up and down, then it was a door saddle or a gap if we left the opening in there. And you can see how effortly he does it. You can see that the chair is really a part of him and then popping down the two inch curb there. And of course, this went on, and we have the four-inch curbs over there, etc., to do higher level, and then the steps as well, which we'll show you at the end.
1: And just to speak to that, the, the wheelie coming off the curb is really important because if the small caster goes first, there's a risk of that catching and him flipping over. So popping back and doing a wheelie there is actually very functional and helps the, the large wheel hits first, and then that way he doesn't tip out of the wheelchair. So... So that was the pragmatic study. So then the final study was, you know, and we're, this is still ongoing, so we're analyzing the data. So uh, just, there's no results to report on that other than what we told you. The final portion of this uh, skills training was the remote training of clinicians. And I'm just going to quickly go through. Now, a lot of people here participated in that, and uh, we thank you. Um, but what we were trying to do was remote training of clinicians uh, Uh, Through a web based program. So
2: instead of the in person training, now can some clinicians just learn by watching videos online and then performing the skills with a colleague? And so we had a number, we had a few people who participated in that, which was really great. And um, Buffy and Cindy were big ones, and also Juan as well, and Jerrica were all involved in that part of the study. And then after that, we actually had them train the next group of participants, so the train when they learned the skills, then they took what they learned and then trained the next group of of clinicians, so they each trained about three more people, which was really great because then we got a lot of data just showing, okay, as opposed to in-person training, how effective is it to use, like, web-based type of training. And some of the advantages, hopefully, to web-based type training is that it's the next level and it can kind of be more on demand. So you don't have to take a day off to go to a formal course and carve out the time. You could do it when you have some time in the clinic and just practice a few skills at a time. That being said, we found it was, it's kind of challenging for clinicians at times to make um, their learning a priority unless they have a set day and time where they go somewhere else to do it. So that became a little bit of a challenge that we noticed uh, in, all the, in, the, in all of the uh, sites. So we can move on. Right? but people like that we have the results of some of that as well.
1: So just to quickly go through, I mean, the concept is that, you know, normally Lee would do this in person, you know, and it's the didactics, the hands-on, it's very hands-on here, Um, but there's a lot of barriers to that in the sense that the scheduling, you know, it's limited costs and it's one-on-one. So this uses an e-learning approach uh, to teaching the the clinician training. and uh, so as Mary say, this was just the, the study she was talking about. Again, the, what they did was they went through a progression of training. So you learn how to do a transient caster pop threshold, and then you're going up and down curbs, learn to go over gap. Then you work to your stationary, stationary wheelie. Then you do a moving wheelie, and then finally you're doing a wheelie uh, up a ramp and down a curb. So And you practice. So there's baseline measures, what the therapists were doing. They'd review the material, they'd practice, they'd upload the videos for Lee, he'd give them feedback, and then they'd they'd keep doing this until Lee uh, basically signed off and said you've achieved this skill. Again, the, there was the outcome measures. Um, this was the program that they used. Um, the intervention as I went over. Um, now this was what they call asynchronous training. So instead of it being one-on-one, it was the videos, and they would upload it, and then Lee would provide the feedback a day or two later. So it's not one-on-one as it's occurring. It's asynchronous. So preliminary results, we had 32 therapists and students uh, do this, Uh, It took them about four to six training sessions to master this, uh, with each session lasting around 30 to 90 minutes. Um, So here's an example of a therapy team working on practicing their skills, you know, the idea is to work on their static wheelie, right, so they're having, you know, this is what they would upload. And then Lee would give them all this detailed feedback. And uh, you, you would try to really point out all the different aspects of it so undershooting different things uh, putting not enough force on the the hand rims to where their feet are how what they're doing so a lot of valuable feedback doing this so again
2: and so one of the things just to remember though so we were always trying to minimize the feedback and lee too but he wanted to make sure people got just like the core concepts but remember with motor learning, you don't you want the person to feel it and get it without you verbalizing so much. So you only give those few cues. And that's what he was trying to do there. He was just pointing out the major stuff, trying to give them a few cues to that the few cues that would make all the difference in their success with and being able to achieve the particular school skill.
1: And so, not surprising, we saw uh, great improvements in both the capacity and the confidence in doing that. So it was effective in training people how to do this. So the feedback was it was very useful. Uh, Videos were great. Um, uh, You know, they felt more confident. Uh, They were, you know, some of the things, you know, learning about the motor learning principles uh, just gives them insight into what it was like to be a patient because we're doing this with clinicians.
2: And they felt improved Sparta skills. They felt more comfortable than supporting someone safely so that they weren't going to get hurt or to fall.
1: Um, some of the feedback we got—it's a very dense syllabus, so it's probably is trying to, you know, try to make it a little more streamlined. Videos, a little step by step, so maybe provide more training to the uh, the the people who are trying to learn how to train, mm-hmm. and then add some different skills, and then Skype support. Um, just to, uh, you know, there was some difficult to understand. So this is something we're working on. This training program Um, you know sometimes the directions weren't clear Uh, some of the other things
2: the videos were difficult to upload because and this is in all the hospitals that uh, we have all these firewalls so people had to do it from their personal computers at home as opposed to using the hospital computer so it just kept adding little layers of more difficulty for people
1: so some challenges and the recording as Mary pointed out so one of the things, so we, we, in a very short amount of time, let me back up here, um, in a very short amount of time, we've covered a lot, but really the goal was to teach people wheelchair skills training, and to, you know, the, this is a device that can make them more independent, and people don't always think of it in that capacity, and what can they achieve, and so we wanted to show you a video of what truly people can achieve if they know how to use their wheelchair.
2: And to just get people to try to change the mindset that it's an enabling device. This is actually something that's going to help you to get out of bed and do things as opposed to always thinking very negative about, I don't want the chair. And I mean, nobody wants the chair, but it's really important in helping them live their lives.
1: So I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. So, okay. Do you have the uh, sound? No. Oh,
2: <laughs> So there's great music to this, but we, can't, we don't have it. But you can see like, how competent people can easily get and confident with doing it. Um, and those are pretty steep, unusual steps that are in these different environments. And this is always more challenging for people. The only thing that people definitely need for this skill is a um, seatbelt. You have to have something tying you to the chair so that you can maneuver the chair up and down. But other than that, I mean, people do amazing things. The whole point is doing this training so that they can do it safely.
1: This is incredibly useful because a lot of times, especially in airports, it's hard to find uh, the elevator or the elevators taking up with other people in uh, wheelchairs.
2: So they're going down backwards, which is a little uneasy.
1: These aren't Kessler participants, by the way.
2: (laughs) This is a daunting set of steps for anybody. You can see he just has total confidence, and he can easily control the chair and backs it into the uh, step.
1: How about that one? Mm -hmm. All right. So thank you very much. Um, As I said, this was a group effort. uh, Pittsburgh, Dalhousie, uh, University of Miami, Miami Project, and RIC, now Shirley Ryan. We covered a lot of material, uh, too much material in a short amount of time. But we just wanted to let you know what was happening here the last few years. Many of you were involved. Right,
2: and to open up dialogue about it as well, and how can we continue to keep a wheelchair skills group going, because it does make a huge difference for people.
1: Yeah, and I think that's going to be us, is how can we continue this once once the research study's over? So, thank you.
2: So, any questions, we're here. Any any questions? Thank
0: you. For more information about Kessler Foundation and its researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That is K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N dot org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.